0: a number one best-selling author whose whole life has been about supporting people to achieve personal empowerment, helping people just like you recognise that they can. Hi there,
1: it's Gina Gardner here. I'm very pleased to be on Passionate World Radio. I'm the author of Thriving Not Surviving, The Five Secret Pathways to Happiness, Success and Fulfillment, and I'm very pleased to say that it's become an international bestseller. I'm also the the founder of the the Thrive Together Tribe and the Thriving Not Surviving Programme. And I'm joined today by my good friend, uh, Rachel Davidson, who's a spiritual um, fiction author, and she's written The Point of Me, which is also an international bestseller. Today, we're going to be talking about professional confidence and how you develop it, and our view of what the elements contain and it's not a definitive list but it does I think contain a lot of the really important parts around professional confidence. I've spent most of my working life helping develop leadership within a whole range of contexts Um, and it's interesting as you watch people develop how confidence which is very low to start with or perhaps overconfident where people um, think they know everything and. And fledge and make mistakes mm-hmm. develops over time into a real sense of this is what you do, and I feel very able to actually put these things into place. Yes, and yet there are people who professionally spend their life avoiding doing things that they don't feel confident about. Yes, and if they're in a position of, of being a manager or a leader, how that can really have an impact not only on them. Ah but also on the people they work with. Mm. So having professional confidence, there are so many different elements to it, aren't there?
2: Yes, yes. Um, I think um, from when I used to work in uh, in corporate companies, um, um, I know that when I felt at my most professionally confident was when I um, had knowledge about the actual job I was in and the skills I needed and so on and so forth. Um, but more important than that was when I felt I was actually achieving stuff. So um, that used to give me a great deal of confidence around um, you know, making things better. And that was really about understanding what I was there to do, above and beyond just the job description, let's say, but, but what I was there to do and really why I wanted to do it. That was the real energy behind um, and the driving and that, and that confidence of knowing why was what would enable me to actually go and sort of talk to people and get projects started, um, you know, do business cases and win budgets from my managing directors and so on and so forth.
1: I think that's really very important. I think before we start to explore that, I think I want to make the distinction between people who are team members and people who are team leaders. Yes. And professional confidence is as important for both. Oh, yes. Yes. But I think that when um, you are a, a team player, and you don't actually find yourself having to lead other people, the most important thing is you have to lead yourself. Oh,
2: yes. You
1: have to manage your own emotional state first, and you have to manage your own confidence. Yes. And recognising that even if you feel that you are the least experienced within a group, you still have point of view you've still got a perspective and often that perspective could be something which sits outside the box and even if the idea in itself doesn't get picked up Mm. it will often spark other ideas from other people yes and I would say you know whatever your position in whichever organization that you may be in and this is actually true of a family as well as um, a a professional setting recognize that you're you're opinion counts that your ideas are important mm. and even if they feel a bit off the wall and those ideas in themselves are not picked up mm. actually they're valuable because they will spark other people.
2: Well you, you should take confidence from the fact that you were employed in the first place. Yes. And that means that there's something about you that is of value to this organisation whatever it is. So even if you're at the very 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 junior level um, there is still something that um that they saw in you that they want to use that they they want you to actually go and do yes. so so have confidence to know that um you you have the ability to to learn and to develop and to absorb all of that but actually also to give back yes it's never a one way street
1: absolutely and i think it it's back to this old uh, thing that we've talked about a number of times before that you know confidence is one of those things that you know, if it's unfamiliar, mm. it's going to feel a bit strange. Mm. But push through that. Mm. You know,
2: I can the, remember. Give it a go when uh, starting my new job um, and coming out of education system and into job felt very different. Um, education system is generally speaking, and if I do a big generalisation for the sake of brevity, uh, about pinning your ears back and listening, and world of work is about. Pinning your ears back, listening, and then doing, <laughs> and figuring out, and solving the problem. So I had a couple of managers who used some very good phrases uh, for me when I was very young around uh, things like "Don't I don't want to I don't want to take the monkey from around your neck, Rachel," which was basically a message of if you see a problem, don't come to me, your manager, and complain about it. Come to me with the problem identified. And have some solutions in place yes and it was it's a very subtle it's a very subtle sort of change really but it's a very important one for developing confidence around the fact that your ideas can work yes
1: i would say that you know the being a problem solver and not a problem dumper mm. is a really good habit to create yeah. instantly if people are just entering the world of work or have children who are about to um, then my book, Kickstart Your Career, oh, yeah. um, has cool. lots and lots of, of help in there to help you become the grown-up professional mm. very quickly.
2: Yeah.
1: And, you know, if you are beginning your career, then recognise that you're not expected to know everything. Wow. Um, in my experience, people fall into two stools. Those who, who um, are very unconfident, and they tend to be the bigger group, um, and I would say if you're part of those, then ask But don't be needy. Yes. It's important to listen and not keep asking the same old, same old, because you're not taking responsibility for what you do. Yes. But I found about 5% were cocky. They were too confident. Yes. And if you're somebody who is supremely confident, then be very careful Mm. that you don't upset more experienced members of staff Mm. by assuming that you know it all. Mm. You still have things to learn. Even on your last day, you've still got things Mm. to learn but also what's really important for both groups is take responsibility yes if you make a mistake hands up very quickly so the mistake can actually be sorted out quickly
2: yes
1: um and you know particularly if you're in an organization which has a a a culture of development rather than blame Mm. there'll be an expectation that you're going to uh, have times when you don't know what you're doing Mm. And that's okay.
2: I think your use of the word assume, it just triggered another memory for me. um, Because I think when when you're young and overconfident and you you have that sort of, um, I know everything and I'm young enough to know everything type of attitude, you do assume a lot of things. And um, I had another manager say to me uh, about something that I clearly had made a massive assumption on. Well, um, when you assume, you make an ass of you and me, breaking down the the spelling. Oh, I love it. Assume. Assume. Ass. You. Me. And, um, and... And I thought at the time, oh, what? <laughs> I can distinctly remember my youthful sort of, oh, yes, whatever. But actually, it really stayed with me. And I find myself using that phrase to my children when they've made assumptions about things. And I say, well, you know what assume does? It makes an ass of you and me. <laughs>
1: well, that's a really good point <laughs> to, to remember. They their eyeballs at
2: me too. <laughs> I'm sure they
1: do. <laughs> So let's now talk about people who are either aspiring managers and leaders mm-hmm. or who are existing managers and leaders. Mm-hmm. And your point that, you know, understanding the why of what's going on, yeah. I think is absolutely critical. But people need to have a real sense of what they're trying to achieve, their vision. Yes. And, you know, in a sense, that comes first. How will you know that you've been successful? Mm. What are you aiming for? Mm. I would say is step number one, because you can't create a why without a what. Mm. So knowing what it is you want to achieve, Mm. step number one. But absolutely, why is that important? Mm. And does everybody have an understanding of what the vision is and why it's important? Because yes. only then can they have ownership, and feel that they have part, a part to play in terms of the success. Yes. But also out of that, the, the sharing that sense of why is a huge motivator.
2: I think I think I um, I heard it recently um, that somebody described that uh, the why behind what you're doing. Uh, is what gives it the energy yes gives it the momentum um, and people will say things like oh i get it and when you get that sort of drop of understanding within another person that's when your excuse me your what can begin to happen yes because you can't it's very rare that you can go and do something in your life that is entirely on your own and in a vacuum you will always need other people to come with you to help you to assist yes
1: I think, you know, long gone are the days when people would say, do it because I said so. Oh, yes. There are very few occasions when that's appropriate. For example, in an emergency, mm. get out of the building now. Uh-huh. Um, you. Know, but even then, get out of the building now, because it's not safe, the why becomes much more relevant, doesn't yes. it? Yes, yes. Um, but for most managers, for most leaders, getting people to be find themselves underneath the why and helping to deliver that why projects have got a much better chance of of being sustained over time yeah
2: there's um there's a a great guy called simon sinek who is a brit but he's living in america um and he's done a lot he he wrote a book on the power of why i don't know if that's the title but but if you put simon sinek and why into any search engine i'm sure you'll find it and and he makes a, a very valid point that um, apart from um, sort of you know the the general feeling of getting it and whatever, it's actually quite a biological process that goes on yes. within us because our major decisions in life are made at um, a, a lower level of brain processing, uh, a more sort of an animalistic instinctive level. Yes, he, uh, he refers to the limbic brain, and then we do a lot of justification in the cortex. Part of the brain, which is linked to language and so on, to sort of explain the why, but but ultimately the actual decision to go do, to buy in, to to purchase literally a product in in that in his examples, is done at a very very instinctive level, and that's because we we feel. Um, connection with values behind the why's yes and that's why some brands are really really successful in the world because they have a very clear why and people get it and they get it at that sort of gut level level.
1: yes absolutely we've already talked about people being responsible for their actions and having the confidence to own what they do Uh what they say how they do and say it and actually when they choose not to do or say something mm. and there are times when doing nothing is the appropriate thing to do but I think you know having the confidence to own your stuff is really important mm. because when you don't you're in victim mode mm. and as soon as you're in victim mode you're handing your power over to somebody else.
2: Yes and and working for people, leaders, in any sort of hierarchy but but working for people that aren't confident about their abilities and why they're doing things and what they're going to do to achieve that can feel very uncomfortable um i i I think of people who are professionally competent as people who are able to be generous with their knowledge and and um you know uh working for the greater good and i've worked for a, a number of of leaders over my over my time who have been the complete opposite of that, and have damaged my confidence because of it, B- because they aren't able, they don't feel comfortable in their skin, um, they they have a uh, an imposter syndrome type of thing going yes. on.
1: I call it the best boy or girl in the class. I right. suppose from my school days, where people it's only a good idea if it's theirs. Ah uh, yes. Or yeah. they. Um, They steal other people's ideas um, or contributions and make out that it's theirs, which I think, you know, lacks huge integrity. It does nothing actually for them and it certainly damages the relationship. And I think the best managers and leaders are those who are good at getting the best out of their people. Stephen Covey, very well known in terms of management, talks about the servant leader. Yeah. And doing everything that's required to get the best out of people, yes. rather than I'm the best boy or girl in the class because I'm the leader. Yeah. Um, having that role where your job is to facilitate and to grow and nurture yes. and to hold people to account, of course. And we'll talk be talking about that later. Mm. But ultimately, you know, the best teams are those where everybody's contribution is valued, mm. and attributed to the person who has given it yes Um, and that takes confidence i think to acknowledge your idea is actually more appropriate than mine yeah um but that doesn't diminish me yes um so i think that's that's really important
2: and there can be some organizational cultures where you know that's very hard to be Mm. that kind of giving confident person yes that in in being so powerful um, you you are quite a threat and there are many organisations that that um, even though they, they talk a good talk about valuing their people actually don't really encourage a sort of a, a giving, confident, um, let's hear everybody's point of view.
1: You've got to give people permission Yeah. and I think that needs to be done explicitly. I'm not talking about saying Rachel I give you permission to no, give me your ideas no. but it's a culture where you know, particularly if you're developing a culture of development rather than blame. Mm. You know, no idea is a silly idea mm. until it's been explored and discounted. Yes, um, and that everybody's contribution is is really um, of value. Because interestingly, if you look at uh, so often the idea that actually gets used in the end mm. has often been triggered by something that, in its first iteration, mm. felt Completely ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I don't I have a pet hate about talking about brainstorms and uh, yeah. thought showers. And uh. I've no doubt there's a new <laughs> there's a new word now. But you know, the, the getting people to say right, no idea, silly. Yeah, in
2: yeah. the first
1: instance, let's have all of your ideas, however off the wall they are, mm. and then let's look at those and judge whether there's any meat in there ah. that we can take out of it.
2: Because it, as a leader, again, of any scale. You have to really work hard at fostering that um, ambience of trust. Absolutely. Because that's what you're basically asking other people to do, is to trust that you won't laugh at them when they come up with something, to trust that, that, they will, um, that, that it's a safe thing for them to do, that there'll be no criticism, that... You know, something won't uh, won't hang around and bite them on the bum. You know, all of these sort of again, quite quite animalistic, basic fear things.
1: I mean, these are core values, they are. and if they are in place and everybody shares those core values, then things go incredibly well. But if there is a variance with core values, either way, employee, yeah. Yeah. team member, or, or leader, it leads not only to things falling apart in terms of of whether or not you're going to be successful, Mm. but leads to huge levels of stress Mm. um, and sickness in the end. Mm. Because if your values are being um, dissed, being um, ignored, then that's at a very core level. It's why they're called core values. And it creates great anxiety unhappiness and yeah. stress which in itself has a, an impact on well-being
2: i i um used to use a phrase um which it wasn't mine somebody else gave it to me called learned helplessness and um, many
1: people uh, exhibit learned yes, helplessness yes
2: and and i have experienced it where i have felt well there's not a lot of point in me putting forward that idea or yes. there's not a lot of point in me doing that I, I should probably just keep my head down because last time I said it, it, it wasn't It got valued. shot off, it, yes, yeah, um, tall poppy syndrome and all that. Um, and I do think a lot of organizations are are effectively the way they are because they 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 help their their staff, their people to be helpless. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think it might be helpful with the time that we have left to look at some of the elements that go to create confident leaders. Yeah. Yeah. So we've talked about the vision. We've talked about having a very strong sense of why. Mm. But I think one of the areas, and I work with lots of businesses, and where things often go wrong are the expectations mm. are neither explicit, right, nor are they um, they are they clear and shared. Mm-hmm and they're often not very high right so for me high shared explicit expectations mm. start with the advert
2: and by high expectations you mean
1: i want excellence i don't want okay. mediocre thank you very yeah. much yeah. but you need to have a shared understanding of what does excellence look like mm. sound like feel like mm. in the context of this situation yeah so you start with your with your advert you know, what sort of person are you looking for? Yeah. And very often people just put the same old advert out, uh, which has no real relevance in yeah. terms of what sort of person. Yeah. I, when I was a head teacher and I appointed teachers, I had the view that I could teach them yeah. to be a good teacher. What I couldn't teach them was to be highly motivated, Yeah. Um, somebody who worked hard, somebody who was keen to learn yes. and somebody who was a people person so
2: skills versus attitude and a lot of people are employed on the basis of the skills they have absolutely and not many are employed for the attitude they have now
1: it's very different if you're employing a pilot
2: yes i want somebody <laughs>
1: who can fly a plane yes if i'm employing a brain surgeon i want somebody who's uh, who's going to know yes. what they're doing so i think there has to be a huge caveat yes but even with that If you are employing somebody with the right attitude, then you are going to get someone who um, is going to fit your team Mm. in a different way. Mm. Then the interview. I think, and I teach interviewing skills and I teach people to be interviewed. Mm. And I'm just amazed at how often people just listen at at surface level. I was once involved in a training um, session This is going back right to the beginning of my career, and I was the very youngest, it was very cheeky I have to say, everybody was much more experienced than me, Um, and we had actors who were taking the part of the candidate, and it was videoed. And what I found is that the people who were glib and who were great body language and Uh who came across as very confident, They got the job. Mm. But when we unpicked what they'd answered, yeah. actually the answers had no substance. Yeah. So I would say if you're interviewing, be clear about what you want and create questions in layers yes. that actually determine whether that person is going to do what you want. But in an interview, I would always set the scene and say, this is a two-way process. This is as much for you to find out if it's right for you. Yes. Don't come here. If you don't want to work hard, if you don't want to learn, if you're not a good team member. Don't want any moodies. Um, You know, if you're somebody who's got a temper and you can't control it, not the right place Mm. for you. Mm. So on the first sign of difficulty, I could go back and say, do you remember what I said at the interview? You said no moods. And yet here we are on a Monday morning. I think you might have been out on the lash at the weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Keep your moods at home, please. Yes. Yes, So I think that those explicit um, expectations start from the beginning and should be maintained right the way through.
2: I totally agree. And w- whenever I was doing interviews, I, I always held the balance in my head that yes, I had to perform and I had to, you know, prove my abilities and my attitudes and my skills. But actually, they also had to prove their their. I, they they needed to light my flame. Yes. There's a lady on LinkedIn um, called Liz Ryan. She runs um, Uh, The human workplace, and she talks about this exactly that um, as somebody applying for a job, you have to remember that they need to earn your your work, your your time, your effort too. It has to be the right place for you. It's not always the employer. And I think it goes back to core
1: values. Yes, they've got to be a firm um, that you feel that you will feel right in. Yes. So the expectations having high shared expectations I think goes through in terms of effective delegation Mm -hmm. and delegation is done so badly yes because most of the time the people who are delegating haven't got the confidence to set those high expectations right from the start to share them to talk about time scales, levels of autonomy, mm. what the budgets are, mm. their confidence to set it up mm. isn't great and then they don't monitor it and evaluate performance along mm. the way well enough mm. and they don't hold people to account.
2: I, I can um, freely admit that I have always been a really bad delegator and I get all of the control aspects of delegation um, and I get the trust aspects of delegation. But I, I always struggle with doing it, always. And, and that's I think because I like to be in control.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, those people who have the "it's better to do it yourself" because at least then I know the job is done <laughs> properly. <laughs> sort of um, a lead, man- leadership and management. I think it's a, it is about confidence, yeah. and yeah. it is about you're making sure that the people that you delegate to have the. Uh, the tools Mm. and the skill set in order to do it and so that's a big training issue
2: um,
1: because they don't know what's going on in your head unless you share that and there are ways of doing that that you can um, ensure that people know what it is that Mm. they're doing by asking the question rather than just telling Mm. then saying to people right can you write me the proposal with what you think are the key issues Mm then you can actually see that yes. and then determine whether there's a step missing. Yeah. But holding to people account to account and doing it in a way that doesn't that, that isn't accusatory, uh-huh. that doesn't push people into a corner, uh-huh. but is about right, so what's going well? Goes uh-huh. back to this culture of development. Uh-huh. The only failure as far as I'm concerned is a failure to give it a go uh-huh. and a failure to learn. if something goes wrong yes so if you keep making that mistake yes then that's a real failure Yes. and again i've got to qualify that if you're a pilot i don't want you let loose um on flying my plane until somebody's very confident that you know how to do it zero tolerance of mistakes (laughs) but for the most part people need to learn and they need the to be given the parameters to learn so delegate appropriately if somebody's very inexperienced delegate a bit yes of something yes. and let them do that and then give them the next bit yes. don't just let them loose
2: and, and frankly delegation is a critical skill i mean i've just said you know i struggle with it and i was always bad um and and it always used to stress me um but but it's a critical skill you can't you can't really not do it in life because you cannot do everything yourself you literally cannot do everything and yourself
1: and it's such a waste of a development opportunity for the yes. other person yes how are you going to learn unless you are given the opportunity yes. to do it
2: i see this in in my parenting actually um that i don't delegate to the children certain key tasks in the house um, in old-fashioned terms chores <laughs> and that's because I, I don't trust them to do it the way I want to do it and they don't like the control that I try to place on them in order to get them to do it the way so often in this kind of scenario it's like oh, better to do it myself but I do recognize that actually I'm I'm disabling them by not delegating effectively to them. And I'm making my life harder by not doing it. So so I have to push and do it. But, but every time I come to it, it's like, oh, such hard work. And it's
1: interesting because I often say to leaders, managers, mm. you know, you are the parent in this. Yes. And if you continue to put their shoes on and tie their shoelaces up, yes. you'll still be doing that in a year, five years, ten years. Yeah. They yeah. have got to... Go through that painful process of learning to tie their shoelaces, and I'm using that as an an analogy. I would also say that the holding people to account is something, there's a really common pattern that people ignore something that's going wrong and they ignore it and Mm. they ignore it because it's too difficult to have that conversation, Mm. and then they can't ignore it anymore, and there's a big blow up. And the person who is on the receiving end, thinks, what, Mm. I've been doing it for six months, what's the matter?
2: Yes.
1: Whereas if you have regular monitoring and evaluating conversations where you say to that person, so how is it going? Mm. How do you know? Where's your criteria? Mm. And that's where, let's go back right to the beginning, Mm. having your vision and your criteria for success Mm. is so important Mm. because then you have something to hold people to. Yes. If it flops about and nobody knows how will we know when it's going to be successful yes. because that's not been defined, yeah. then you can't hold people to account. Yeah. Yeah. But what I would say if you're holding people to account, have the confidence to be able to say, I need to deal with this but let me get myself together and mm. get my thoughts together. Mm. You never want to do that when you're feeling angry and frustrated. Mm. You need to manage your emotional state yes. first yeah. and to talk in a very neutral voice yes. in order to have that that productive conversation mm. rather than it become acrimonious and relationships be destroyed. Yeah. And one of the greatest compliments I think I was ever given as a head was when a, a, a young teacher who we'd had a, um, a, quite a deep discussion uh-huh. about yes. their performance said,
2: uh-huh.
1: you know... You have a way of telling me that what I've done isn't right, but in a way that I feel good about, yeah. and that I know now what I've done, that I'll do differently in the future. Yes. And I think when you can do that, you're gr- really growing people. Yes. Um, and as a leader, having the confidence to say to somebody, look, you know, I'm I'm Perhaps not great at holding you to account, but I need to do it not only for the project and uh, for the organisation, uh, but because it's in your best interest yes, too. Yes. So let's look at this in detail and let's find a way forward. Uh, it's always about finding uh, a better way uh, forward.
2: Well, you know, when you're an individual in these kinds of organisations and corporate structures, and uh, you know, quarterly review type scenarios that are going on, you know, also have the have the sense of self to actually initiate those kind of conversations yourself I, I always I've worked for a couple of managers who never like to do like quarterly reviews because yes. you know the appraisal system is like a nightmare in most organizations but but just on an informal basis I would have in my head oh it's been a month since I last had a everything going fine kind of check yes. and I would force that upon them just in a very tell me if I'm doing anything that you know you're not that pleased about but tell me if I'm doing something great and sort of just make it a human conversation outside of the formal HR process I think
1: so it's a two-way process and both both sets of people need to have the confidence to initiate and to see it through I think we're we're run we've run out of time but what I would say leaving um, this conversation is have the confidence to say you're sorry Mm. and put things right if Things have gone wrong. And if you're the manager and you've actually got it wrong, to go and say to somebody, I'm really sorry, Mm. I didn't handle that very well. Let's have a look Mm. at how we can do it better. Mm. Um, And also the confidence to say thank you. Mm. Goodwill is such a precious commodity. And thank you goes a long way. But only say it when you mean it. Not, I haven't said thank you this week, I need to say thank you. But a a heartfelt thank you. Look somebody in the eye. Uh, yeah. and say thanks goes a, a long way that
2: comes back to having an authentic why
1: absolutely so thank you very much for joining us you'll find lots of information f- um, there's loads of free stuff on my website which is genuinely you can also download a free copy of thriving not surviving from the website that's genuinely and rachel's book the point of me is available on amazon and we look forward to being with you next time thanks very much
0: You've just been listening to another great Genuinely You podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Genuinely You is a culmination of Gina's work spanning over 30 years of helping people learn what makes them feel happy and truly fulfilled and how to achieve it. Please visit genuinely-you.com today to find out more.